Hello, you're listening to the Sunday Show Tunes podcast. I'm Paul. And I'm Maureen. Coming up on today's episode, we'll be chatting with Maury Eston and the incredible David Bedella. David Bedella is a three-time Olivier Award-winning actor, currently appearing in the hit musical and Juliet at London's Shaftesbury Theatre. David is with us now. Hi, David. How are you? Hello, hello, hello. I'm very well, thank you. Have you been keeping? <laughs> uh, very well. It's been a busy time. You this know? is good to hear. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not just talking about, you know, theatrically speaking. I have become DIY man. I've been working <gasps> around the house. I've been baking sourdough. I am a busy man. You bossed this, this lockdown. Sourdough. <laughs> Did you make any banana I made, bread? I made this lockdown my... I know we can't say that. <laughs> That's good to hear. Well, if we're talking so, about a female dog, we can. Exactly. <laughs> and so it is. First things first, congratulations on winning Woo-hoo! your third Olivier Award. How does oh, that feel? Thank you. It's really, oh, you know, the, the cliches, they, they don't serve you well enough. It, it, it is humbling. It is exhilarating. Uh, it's beyond belief. <laughs> if I'm honest, it's beyond belief. I think, wow, fooled him three times. How did that happen? But um, but you know, I'm going to take it at face value. I'm going to and and receive the acknowledgement because it's really a lovely thing. And the wait was a, a it was a while this time. Uh, a whole four years. No, no, but between the end of the announcement of the nominations oh. and the awards. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Like, where are you going with this, Paul? I was like, Jeez. Well, the first one was twelve years. This one was four years. So. Uh, no, not time between uh, awards. No. Yeah, we were, we were, I think, guess the nominations come out in what, Feb? Yeah. 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 And then everything came to a halt. That's when the oh. sourdough started. Oh, God, you're telling me. The waistline <laughs> can prove it. Um, and by the way, I'm really, really getting it down now. I know how to do the sourdough. Very happy. Uh, so but we that's need to know subject. what day is baking day and what your address is. <laughs> I'll let you know. I promise. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, uh, it was a long wait, and I sort of thought that they would wait until next year. I figured there's no theater happening, so they won't have the award ceremony sometime during this year. It's going to wait an entire year till shows are back up and running, because uh, there won't be anyone else to submit. There's no shows, so mm-hmm. we'll just do it a year from now. And then I got a call saying, hmm, here you go. And, so and that was that. that, and was, that. Was, it, was it pre-recorded, the ceremony? Are we supposed to say? Yeah. Well, I was just wondering, because everybody kind of acted a little bit surprised, but then of course, Cassidy Jansen just showed up at the Palladium, <laughs> decked out to the nines, didn't she? And some of you just and- caught it in. <laughs> and Off she spent street. a lot of money to get there, by the way. A lot of, <laughs> oh, the hair people, the makeup people. I was talking to her on the day, the hundreds that go towards the dress and the, and the uh, hotel suite to get you ready. It's like, wow, girls really have a lot of work ahead of them when they get to do something like that. We, we throw in a tux and a little powder, we're there, right? We're sorted. <laughs> we're so sorted. it was one... pre-recorded. Uh-huh. It, it was pre-recorded. Um, uh, for those of us who knew that we couldn't be there, um, they wanted to make sure that the acceptance speeches were uh, filmed. So our producers were wonderful. Our producers sent over uh, the big Anne Juliet banner, you know, the big pink yeah. thing that was behind me. And they sent over lighting equipment, uh, you know, to make sure it was done properly. They said, do throw on a tuxedo. I said, I will, I promise. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we, and we got it all done. Brilliant. Was yeah. it hard keeping it a secret? Yes, very much. Uh, particularly with with, you know, people close to you because they know the day is coming up and they're saying, are you nervous? 
And what's going to happen? You're not going to be there. What are you going to do? And you got to make stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> you're an actor. That's what you do. Three-time three award-winning actor. You're good at this. You know? that, those awards say that. What yeah. I want to ask, uh, we want to know how you first got involved in Anne Juliet. Were you a Max Martin fan from the outset? I didn't even know the name. I didn't know who Max Martin was. Much like the rest of the world, he's mm -hmm. so quiet and humble about who he is and what he does. Um, I, how I actually got involved was uh, through Luke Shepard, who is my director for Anne Juliet. He was also the director of um, In the Heights, which yeah. is the last time right. I won an Olivier. So, exactly. Uh, we Wait, that was drop. not four Just years ago. That. Yeah, that was four, four years, years ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. my God, I feel so old. Uh, you know, feel so old. <laughs> Please, uh, all of you. But I was I was out in uh, Los Angeles doing pilot season and uh, got a phone call and he said, Dave, you're not by any chance in the States, are you? He said, I am. He said, are you in LA? I said, I am, why are you asking? He said, oh, what great luck. I'm involved in a new project. We need somebody to come in and be a dad. And he says, you know, the last time I asked you to be a dad, you got an Olivier for it. So what do you say you come along and, and, and participate in the project? And I thought, well, what the heck, it's five days. I'll, you know, I'll see how it goes. So I joined in and well, of course, you, you, you already know all the music, you know, it's yeah. barely a study. Um, and it was nearly there. I thought this show is nearly there, but there's, there's something not quite right. We all could feel there was something not quite right. And then a second workshop happened in the UK. And once this material was placed in the hands of a British actor, it just soared. I mean, it was night and day from where it was before. You can't give uh, Shakespearean, well, oh, I shouldn't say that out loud, should I? <laughs> you can't give Shakespeare <laughs> to an American. <laughs> but, Too bad you've done that now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never work in the US again. Uh, but uh, seriously, this, this material in the hands of someone who is born and raised here, who understands the humor, understands the, um, the, the delicacy and the finesse of what we're playing with here, I mean, it was just magic from the word go, it was magic. Yeah. I mean, the musical itself feels very, very British anyway. Oh yeah, it's, don't you think? Absolutely. Oh, completely, completely. And yet it is completely not British. It is written no. by a man from Canada. Isn't that who? fascinating? Oh, David who? West Reed. Oh my gosh, who's amazing. He's the, also yeah. the writer of Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek, who doesn't love Shit's Creek? I know. <laughs> I actually met him, I, I, I wanna say it was like the first week it opened. Yeah. And he was just, he was in the lobby and he's yeah. a lovely, lovely, brilliant man. Oh, he's so great, isn't he? And speaking he of humble, I mean, he's just soft-spoken and, and sweet, you know, not a bad word comes out of his mouth ever. He's a sweetheart. He's great. <laughs> So, so I think um, most people, when you say David Bedella to them, if they're musical theatre, people will definitely think of the devil and Jerry Springer, the opera. Uh -huh. Did you realise all those years ago that you would be pre pretty much forever known as the devil? You know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, about four times a year, uh, I have to say no to a new project. Um, we have a role here and it's sort of satanic in nature. And I say, no, thank you. Thank sort you, of no, thank satanic you. in nature <laughs> it's the devil who you're trying to fool um but, but the truth is uh yeah you, you do get pigeonholed now i'm not going to say anything against that because i think i'm one of the lucky ones yeah uh, when when you're lucky enough to find a role that you're so identified with that you can walk into well for me walking into any audition anywhere in the world the first thing out of their mouths when i when i step in is 
my God, we saw you and Jerry Springer and weren't you just amazing? And I, I always say, thank you so much. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for that recognition. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Half the work is done because someone's already your fan. Mm. Yeah. And, and oh. that's, that's, from a, that's from doing a brilliant piece like that. And it, it, I remember back to that time, there was a flurry of controversy around the show, wasn't there? It was, was it originally at the National Theatre and then it, it moved into, into town? It, it, it must have been a, a strange and exciting time for you as an actor. Yeah, it was, kind of, it was kind of scary because we were hearing things about death threats. And, you know, the guy from the BBC who, who gave the go ahead to put it on the air, he and his family were receiving death threats. And we had people from the right wing Christian foundation, not foundation, uh, organizations uh, protesting outside our theater every night. Oh my um, gosh. Which is a terrible thing, you know, that it, it gives Christianity a bad name because I am wholeheartedly Christian yeah. um, and, and have my own relationship with God. And yet these people were putting a different face on it for, you know, mm-hmm. and as it is, mm-hmm. um, sometimes I'm more afraid to come out as a Christian than I am uh, a gay man. <laughs> 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 you know, it's, it's more dangerous. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it was a strange time, strange time. You know, I spoke with them about um, coming into the theater, some of the people who were picketing out front. And I'd say, uh, would you like to come in? I can set it up. I can get you seats in the balcony. Come in and watch it and see then afterwards if you think that it's it's blasphemous. And the answer was always the same. We don't need to see it. We know, we know. I said, how, how wonderful of you That's so too. frustrating, isn't it? You know. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. was, that was the first show my husband and I um, had decided we were moving to the UK. My husband yes. had gotten a job and we were looking for houses and literally said, okay, sweetie, you need to get, you know, get your glad rags on. Cause we're, I'm taking you to Jerry Springer. And I'm like, honey, I hate that. I hate that. I go, are you kidding me? That train wreck of a show. And he said, no, 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 no. It's not the television show. He goes, no, it's, it's, it's a musical. It's an opera. And I'm like, no, I'm like, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me. And no. that was the first show I saw in the West End. Mm. And then I said, OK, this is different than Broadway. <laughs> the West End yeah. has got a different flavor and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was go, quite David. edgy. Yeah. Without, Very without edgy. your performance, Maury might not be here now. You know, See? has that gone the other way? Exactly. Thank God. Thank, thank God, God. I'm a heck of a devil. Yeah. We have, I, have you, you to were, thank for everything. You were a heck of a devil. <laughs> <laughs> so if we can return a little bit to Anne Juliet for a minute or two. Um, mm-hmm. It's been closed since March. Yeah. Where And Maureen and I often on the show when we play a track go, do you know what? We need to see Anne Juliet again. You know, mm-hmm. we need to have that joy in our lives because it is just a feel good show. Is there any news that we can maybe expect to see it back anytime soon? Oh, yes. I mean, our producers have been working this whole time to see how quickly they can get us back in. We had an original uh, return time of, of, you know, pre-Christmas, but then things just, you know, things haven't moved towards uh, social health at all. In fact, if anything, we've, we've slipped backwards. We're going back into lockdown. So so um, right now, the our eye is on the March goal. Uh, mm-hmm. back into the theaters. I think they're already starting to sell tickets for March 12th for our first opening performance. Okay. Um, the Shaftesbury is taking 
major steps to make sure that everybody can do this in a healthy and safe way. They have completely redone the air filtration system. There's all new air conditioning, heating, and it, it oh, wow. uh, filters in fresh air every seven minutes. So that's the first big thing. And that costs a whole lot of money. Yes, that um, does. They're changing the lobby. You know, I don't know if you know, the, the lobby at the Shaftesbury is a tiny little closet. Yeah. Yeah. They have gutted the entire bottom level underneath the theater to create a lobby that is four times the size of the old one wow. so that people can spread out and have and have wow. a place to be. So yeah, they, they believe strongly in the, the revitalization of theater and, the, and our return. And they believe strongly in this show. They know that the, the world is going to need Anne Juliet. Because oh, it is all the world really needs yes. Anne Juliet. Yeah, really it's, it's happiness, isn't it? <laughs> Maureen saw it before I did, and then she took <laughs> me back. And it was like, she, she'd gone on and on and on about it and how much fun it was. And I, even <laughs> with all of that, I couldn't quite prepare myself for what ridiculous nonsense and how much fun <laughs> that show is. Well... And even when the, the, alone. <laughs> and when, the, when the songs show up, that you can see them coming 10 yards away, can't you? And yet oh. it doesn't spoil the fun or the impact of it. And 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 yeah, it was just a wonderful piece of theater. So, so much fun. As an actor, you've well, you've got three Olivier's to your, to your name. So that's that's pretty well done. Are there any roles you have yet to play, non-satanic roles um, <laughs> that you have yet to play that you would like to play, or any that passed you by? Hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's I, it's it's a factor of my age, um, and I am getting up there. Uh, there are there are the old classics that I've always wanted to do, but at the time I was a chorus boy. You know, I was a hoofer, I was a dancer, and and wasn't old enough to do them. And now that I'm at the right age to do them, they're sometimes considered passe. But um, you know, classics like uh, Man of La Mancha playing mm -hmm. Don Quixote. Yeah. Like like uh, well. Forty uh, Second Street. I'd love uh. to do a Julian Marsh. Um, there's lots of good old, you know, standard roles that I just, I just want to put my take on them. Uh, but more than anything, I just want to experience it. I want to mm -hmm. feel good. The, you know, so many of those shows you go right to the heart. They're they're what I grew up on. They're old fashioned musical yeah, theater. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I do like I do like creating new stuff, and it certainly has worked uh, in my favor. So, uh, you know, maybe I'll never get to the old classics. Who knows? Maybe, maybe yeah. you'll just be creating new ones for us for the next, you know. <laughs> maybe. One. You know, I've always wanted to do uh, La Cage Folle. Oh. Um, oh. But the thought of getting in a dress and heels again is about enough to kill me. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, you know, because I've spent a lot of time there. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So, I, but it would they, be worth it to play Zaza. Absolutely. One final quick question for you. You have yes, three dear. Larrys. Yeah. Um, as, as Cassidy said in the re reward show, I've got a, or is it on, <laughs> on social media? I've got a Larry now. You've got three of them. Where, where do you put them in your house? Have you had to build a bigger shelf with your DIY uh, skills? Well, I would have to build one shelf to start with because uh, I haven't had mine on a shelf. Uh, uh, a few years ago, I was heading off to LA, like I told you, and, and uh, I decided to just wrap them up and put them in the attic. Uh, more than a few years ago. They've been up there for quite a while. And I thought to myself, if I ever am lucky enough to get a third, I'll pull the two down from the attic and I'll make a special place for them. So as soon as mine arrives, um, because they have to messenger it over, as soon as mine arrives, we'll put up a shelf and you bet there'll be a big spotlight on it. Ah, I love it. <laughs>
David, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today. It's Aww. just been lovely to finally have you on the show. Yes. It's, it's been a while. So perhaps we're, we're, at least before you win your fourth, Olivier, you need to be back on and we need <laughs> yes, to have please. another chat. I promise I will, but I want to have dinner, champagne. I want it to be in person when everything clears up. Let's Perfect. Oh, that's a date. We're uh, going to make yeah. that happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, done. Okay. David, thank you so much. Stay safe. Thank you, guys. Thanks, David. Take care. Bye-bye. brand new album, Mori Sings Yeston, The Demos, has been released to commemorate Mori Yeston's 75th birthday. The Tony Award-winning composer has 40 tracks on this album of himself singing and playing his compositions drawn from a wide range of sources. His Tony Award-winning scores, unproduced works, a concept album, a smattering of pop tunes, and some theatrical works that are still in progress. We are so excited that after far too long, Mori is joining us again now. Hi, Mori, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Good to, good to hear your voice and good to be talking to you. Great. And are you, you're safe and well, I'm hoping. Oh, yes. All's well here with us at our home and, and all our dear loved ones here in, uh, in New York and, and, and all of the country, as I certainly hope it is with you and you all back there. Oh, good, yeah. yes. Strange times, but... Um, Strange times, but we're, we're, we're battling through. And um, tell us a little bit about Mori Sings Yes. And what gave you the idea to release these demos? Well, actually, it wasn't my, it was, wasn't my idea. It was the idea of Tommy Krasker, who, 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 uh, who created and runs PS Classics, the label. And I've known Tommy ever since he was uh, one of my students at Yale when he was a freshman uh, a million years ago. Uh, you know, I, I had this, this hobby being a Yale professor for a while, and I was I was in the undergraduate uh, music uh, program, and uh, he and a bunch of other uh, very well known people now uh, studied harmony and counterpoint with me, and um, when when and he I I hired him because uh, to help with uh, getting the the music together for the first reading of nine at the O'Neill Foundation, and ultimately when we did the nine workshop, he was he was the rehearsal pianist. And uh, in fact, he was the one who accompanied the women the morning after I, I wrote the nine overture in one night. And the next morning uh, I gave it to him and he and he accompanied them and actually played the show in a theater on Broadway uh, before we had all the orchestrations. He would he would play during performances hidden behind a big red curtain. On stage. <laughs> <laughs> and so he produced, I think, about seven or eight of my albums and he called and he said, because of course he knows, because he's known me all my professional life, and um, I always do I, I make a demo, uh, a recording of everything I write, generally just after I've written it, within a day or about a week. And uh, thanks to the uh, invention back in the late 60s and the early 70s of the TIAC, four-track tape recorder, which is, I believe, what the Beatles used to uh, dub themselves over and over and over again. That's right. Um, yeah, they bounce from track to track. So if, if it needed to be choral, because I do write choral music and I write contrapuntal music, it has many vocal parts, I could simply overdub myself. And so I could do that at home and or do it in a studio as well. And so um, because when I write, I write the complete, the complete moment on stage, not simply, you know, this is the melody and there are going to be other people singing. No, I want to hear the other people singing because it's generally could be a complex arrangement um, or a duet or, or, or what have you. 
And so Tommy's been aware of all these demos I've done over the years. I mean, virtually every show except, I mean, if you look at the booklet accompanying this album, you'll see there, there's a list of reasons why there aren't demos of other things that I may have written, as, for example, Grand Hotel. There aren't any demos of Grand Hotel because I wrote all the songs of Grand Hotel in, in a hotel room in Boston with a, with a piano during the, the preview period, during which time Peter Stone and I fixed the show by rewriting the <laughs> We just simply went right to the stage. And, and so uh, uh, Tommy uh, really wanted to, he was very sweet to sort of um, make this a big birthday moment here by, by releasing all of these demos. Well, they're not all of them, but many of them. So it's a double album and there are 40 of them. And there are things from very well-known projects and things from uh, not, not so well-known projects. And um, one of the things about it is, of course, you get to hear the very first version of something that was written before it was rewritten or changed or in some way altered or how it ultimately ended up um, on on stage. And, and a lot of people find that very interesting. I, it, it's thrilling, Maury. It's so exciting to, to hear the demos and it, it listeners will know that we love your work. We, we are big Maury Eston fans, but to hear the, the original versions of the songs, it's just so thrilling. And, and now there's a double album, so I can just listen to my heart's content. I want to ask you that obviously they were never intended for commercial release. No, I, I, Did you worry be... about sharing them with the world? Oh, not at all. You know, you know, they, well, they're my, they're, they're my private notes. They're my work product, you know, and, and uh, very often, as I, as, as I say, uh, it's very convenient when you have something very complex, you know, uh, and, you know, I don't want to leave that moment or go answer the phone. And so it's, it's very easy simply to uh, just to let some lay something down before you even have a chance to take a pe- pencil and write it out. And, and, uh, but it's that fresh. And I mean, you're hearing on this album, you're hearing, I guess, you know, the morning after I had written new words and wow. two, two, two days after I had written unusual way. And and so that's not only the song as it as it was, and, and those they, they never changed from that. But it's also, I guess, what my interpretation was of that song at the time. At that time, when it had yeah. just been made, you know. Uh, and, and so, uh, and then there are some things that are really sort of uh, quite interesting. In, in the one, in, one's in Titanic, for example. Um, Titanic. Well, those who know the score know that there's Brian Darcy James initially became a big star from singing Barrett's song. He's the stoker in Titanic. But um, Peter Stone and I had an idea because we were trying to communicate to the audience who would know the reasons the ship sank. And we, well, we knew that the stoker would know he's going, they're going too fast. And the, and the lookout would know, well, there wasn't enough light uh, uh, that night. There was no moon. And, and the telegraph operator would know that uh, the other ships, the uh, telegraph telegraphers went to bed early. And so, his SOS wouldn't be heard by anybody. And so I, I, had, I had found out that uh, there was a Queen's Bench uh, uh, inquiry into the, sailing of the, uh, the sinking of the ship soon afterwards, and they called witnesses. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be great uh, to, have, to have the stoker on, on the Titanic in the past in the show, and suddenly we'd hear a gavel, and, 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 the, and the judge would say, we're coming to order, call the first witness, and he would be called as a witness to 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 uh, uh, testify as to the speed of the ship on the early days of the voyage, testifying was while on the ship at, uh, uh, three months before 
but he's now in the future testifying, and it, it would somehow work. Mm-hmm. And so we, we wrote these. So this is Frederick Barrett being called while he's on the Titanic. It's just left port, and he's, he's testifying in the future. And somehow it did work. And then uh, Richard Jones, wonderful director, um, mentioned to Peter Stone, he said, you know, these inquiries are fascinating, but I think it'd be better if we just sort of get on the ship and do a straight melodrama and we, sh- we should cut them. And Peter, who never, he, he never cut so much as a syllable, he would say, if you asked him to cut something, he would say, but that's the only reason I wanted to do the show. <laughs> and, and so we agreed. And, you know, ever since that time, with the whole history of the show, he would say to me at least once a week, he would say, you know, if we ever get to do the show again, I think we should add back the inquiries. So, so you'll hear you'll hear that uh, how that song uh, was initially created actually as a crazy testimony. Um and who knows, maybe we'll, one day we'll add it back. And, and that's quite interesting. That's uh, fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> what, of course, the, the album contains a lot of tracks from, from your Tony Award-winning scores, oh, but yeah. it also contains some things that really did excite both Maureen and myself at a very excited conversation. Yeah. Where I tapped her, I sent her a message going, excuse me, Maureen, did you know that Maury Eston wrote the first version of La Cage oh, Fall? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hope you, I, I hope you enjoyed the, the that material. I, I really do. Um, oh my well, God. the thing was, I had full full confession here. I hadn't actually read the liner notes before I decided to listen to the album, and I was listening to that opening song. I was like, "Sounds an awful lot like Lacage." This, is a, and I was like, "Okay." And then, how did this come about? Yes. How did it come about? Well, it came about because uh, the great the great producer Alan Carr, uh, who had. Who had produced who um, Greece and had discovered Olivia Newton-John, etc., and had made millions of dollars was was deeply in love with Lacage and decided that he wanted to produce it um, a, 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 as a musical. Now I should say that I saw Lacage a few months after it came to the states, and it and I fell in love with it. I, I, I thought it was an absolute. We all went crazy for that show. It was the it became historically the highest grossing foreign film uh, ever to ever to play uh, in America. And mm. I actually wrote a note to my friend Herman Levin, and, and, uh, and I came to see him, and I said, Herman, I've just seen a film. It is a musical already. All it needs is, is song. And he said, La Cage for All, right? And I said, yeah. <laughs> He said, forget it, kid. Forget it, kid. Alan Carr has the rights. Well, at the time, Tommy Tune and I had been, I had just won the first Richard Rodgers prize and they wanted to do nine of all things and I had met Tommy Toon and we were hoping we would do it and it was the spring of uh, of 1981 and and uh, uh, we had a a meeting about it but he was he looked seriously unhappy and I said what's the matter with you 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 really what something's bothering you and he said well I have these meetings with with Mike Nichols and Alan Carr and Jay Presson Allen. Jay Presson Allen wrote the Prime of Gene Brody. Jay Allen wrote the the uh, screenplay to the musical Cabaret. And I said, my God, you're meeting with the gods of Mount Olympus. He said, yes, and we're having these awful, awful meetings about Lakasha Fold because they want to have a fresh voice. And they're not so sure they want to, they want to go with Jerry Herman. And I said, "Well, give me a chance. I'll I'll write so I'll write on spec. I'll I'll write five, six, seven songs, and and let me let me try to get the job." And he said, "Oh, great." So, about a week later, he called me and he said, uh, uh, "Have you written the songs?" 
And I said, gee, you haven't given me a lot of time. Can you give me just a few more days? <laughs> and so a few more days later, I was there I was in, up near Yale teaching, and I drove down to New York. And we always meet at my mom's apartment. My mom, had a great, my mom and dad had a great apartment on Central Park South. And uh, the time came, and, um, and in walked the great Mike Nichols, if you can imagine, and Tommy Oh, Toon, my gosh. And Jay Allen. And, and, and Tommy had given me a script. In fact, that day, that night at the bar, he reached into his Florida stealing coat and, and handed me the script. And the title of the script was, I cannot believe, you will not believe, the title of the script was The Queen and I by Jay Preston Allen. The Queen and I. <laughs> and so, so they, they sat there sort of in the room and I said, look here, um, you know, uh, I, I, I mean, no offense, I, 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 I wasn't drawn to the title. I think that because you're in New Orleans, which is what they've done, they've decided they want to put the show in New Orleans. I said, and I've been to New Orleans, uh, and, um, you know, I think, and it's a sort of a, that kind of nightclub, I think that um, I think that because Basin Street is such a huge music spot in New Orleans, so and historically, I think, you know, the show happens in a, in a club on Basin Street. I think the show should be called, you know, the Queen of Basin Street, and the club should be called the Queen of Basin Street. And I think the main character is the Queen of Basin Street. And, <laughs> and I played the opening. And I played the opening, and Nichols just went crazy. Uh, and uh, and uh, he said, we're going we're gonna to do it. Uh, and, and they said, we're going to tie you to the furniture. And then I, then I played... Well, I, 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 you'll hear it on, on the on the album. Then I played Salt and Pepper, which is, I guess, the um, uh, the big uh, the, the big eleven o'clock the big entertainment number that the Queen of Basin Street Al Alby, but it, it, instead of Alban, it was, and and um, and then the moment when uh, George has to tell him that um, that their son is getting married, and and fearing that he would have a heart attack. Nevertheless, he has the New Orleans Funeral Marching Band come and announce to him a good song called Bad News, which the bad news uh, unfortunately causes the death of uh, a very nice person. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and so they immediately said, we'll give you an X dollars in advance. They called my agent. Uh, we're opening at the current theater uh, in San Francisco in October. And so I left my job at Yale for a year, one year, uh, to, uh, to, to, to write that show. And I kept writing and writing and writing. And what happened was, uh, by, by mid to late summer, unfortunately, because they were the gods on Mount Olympus, they could not make a deal. Everybody wanted what everybody else had, and there was simply no way that they could structure a deal in which they could all be paid what they wanted to be paid. And uh, you know what? That was it. It fell apart. And, wow. and by October, there I was with all this music and, and no, and I left my job for a year. And, um, you know, that, look, you know, there, it's two words, right? Show and business. Yeah. And uh, but that was okay. Cause you know, I really sharp, I really sharpened my pencil writing that music. And, um, Tommy Toon also didn't have a show and we were having a cup of coffee in early October. And, uh, he said, uh, let's do nine. And I said, okay. So he went and we got, we got the money for the workshop and we went, we started casting the workshop and we, 
finished the workshop. We started the workshop in December, finished it on February 7th. The show opened on Broadway on May the 9th, then won all the Tonys on June the 10th. And so I'm extraordinarily grateful that that all <laughs> fell through because we may not have had nine. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. I probably would have done it some other way or some other time, but you know, not in that magnificent sort of wonderful place where Tommy and I could sort of have a workshop and really work our ideas through and, mm. and get fabulous people to work with as well. Mm. So somehow it all worked out in the end. And, uh, and, and so the Queen of Basin Street was a complete labor of love mm. and, uh, and uh, the Mardi Gras ball and, uh, and uh, um, salt and pepper actually were featured in a, a review that we just did in New York that may actually come to London. Uh, Gerard Alessandrini may bring it over called um, Anything Can Happen in the Theater. There's actually a, a cast album of that uh, from PS Classics. We've, we've played stuff from it. Well, Maury, as always, we could chat forever, but sadly we can't chat forever. This is definitely a, another another conversation in the oh, future. Yeah. Um, a fantastic retrospective. There's at least two two um, shows represented on the album of works that are yet to be produced. I would like you to tell me that you have been spending lockdown and this COVID period, writing a brand spanking new musical for us to come and see. Absolutely so, writing two spanking brand new musicals. The Lady Lady Eve, which based on the great Preston Sturgis play, Henry Fonda, Barbara Stanwyck, with a wonderful book writer, and And? based on the story of the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. And it's a great labor of love. And try to imagine the the contrapositive to Titanic which is that we build something and it doesn't sink. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're your bookend works now then, aren't they? There's the Titanic and the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, We're thinking about doing a reading of Club Moscow in London, uh, hopefully this year. And and that's something, a labor of love that I've written. and And that's really about that incredible period just after Russia became a democracy and how somehow in a period of eight, nine years, all the worst aspects of human beings and psychology just took that away and it became what it is today. And uh, for me, it's a lesson. And actually, halfway halfway writing it, I realized that I was writing about America as much as I was writing about Russia. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a labor of love as well. So, so much still to come. So many more reasons for you to come back and talk to us about stuff that's happening. Maury Yeston, it is always a huge pleasure to have you on, on our Such show. Thank you so much and Cheers. stay safe. Cheers. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you, Maury. You too. Right. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Next time, we'll be chatting with West End star Maz Murray. If you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. I'm Paul. And I'm Maureen. And you've been listening to the Sunday Show Tunes podcast. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.